nothing substitutes for actually a meeting sponsors face to face. But at that live event, you're also going to meet other passive investors, most likely that you know were in the, your shoes a year or two ago and are now doing it successfully. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where Kyle Curtin takes you on an extraordinary journey alongside renowned multifamily real estate sponsors and syndication experts from every corner of the United States. We teach you how to harness the power of passive real estate investing and witness the transformation of your wealth building strategy. Let's create wealth together. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 122 of the Creating Wealth podcast. I am your host, Kyle Curtin. I'm a co-GP specializing in investor relations and capital raising for multifamily sponsors. Today, we get the great pleasure of chatting with Jack Krupe. He is the founder and principal of JCAM Investments out of Puerto Rico. Jack has an incredible story with over 20 years of investing experience from joining a private equity fund, acquiring $3 billion worth of mortgages in 2008, to starting JCAM Investments in 2019, and so much more. We're super excited to have you on here, Jack. Welcome, my man. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, definitely. Yeah, so let's jump right in, man. You know, kind of tell a little bit about like your backstory, like how you, you know, kind of initially like, um, you know, got the the bug for real estate and uh, and that type of thing. <laughs> sure. So uh, the least glamorous part, which was not in my bio, is that I started uh, buying single and two family houses in Rochester, New York, uh, right after college. I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, it was a high school graduation gift for my aunt. And then, um, you know, graduated during the dot-com crisis. So I went from thinking I was going to be this, you know, high-powered computer consultant, you know, making tons of money on stock options and, and, uh, and everything to, you know, luckily I had a job, but it was not as exciting as I thought. It was really, you know, the market, the job market wasn't good. Um, so I went to Las Vegas uh, for my 21st birthday and I bought one of those books. I saw the money in the glamour in Vegas and I was like, I need to figure out how to how to do something, how to build wealth, make more money. So I bought one of those paperback books, how to make a million dollars in real estate, <laughs> read it cover to cover on my flight home. And I'm like a you know 21 year old kid. I call my college landlord. I still had a couple of roommates and my landlord was a broker and owned some rental properties in Rochester. And you know, a couple months later, I owned a house, no money down. And then another two months later, I had another one. So I basically lived that infomercial dream, um, did all the traditional, you know, flipped a couple houses, wholesale, short sales, buying at the courthouse steps and, uh, you know, built up almost 50 units over a few years and quickly realized that it's really tough to scale the single and two family. It was, I essentially created myself a, a job that I didn't really like. And, um, you know, I, I, I caution a lot of investors, uh, you know, now that, you know, the, the multifamily, the syndication space, especially if you're already a high earning professional is it's not as easy as it seems And often you're creating yourself a job and you need to be uh, cautious of uh, really what your hourly rate is for your, your current business. Um, so after the 2008 crisis, uh, it turns out that Wall Street was buying a lot of non-performing loans. They were buying portfolios of them and they needed real estate people. So I grew up outside of New York City in New Jersey and always wanted to live in the city. And uh, I ended up moving into Manhattan December 2008 and worked for a private equity fund buying non-performing mortgages. So I, I was in at the bleeding edge of the crisis and there were portfolios we bought 
we bought a portfolio of second mortgages for three cents on a dollar. <laughs> and it was, again, you know, we, we, at the time you didn't know how many, you know, you 90% of them could have foreclosed. We didn't know, but it turned out with the government pushing on modifications and just the overall real estate market rebound over the years. I mean, some of those loans got paid off in full. Um, and, and many of them were sold a number of times since, but it was probably the trade of, uh, you know, trade of our lifetimes. If, if, you know, we'd had the foresight and the money to, to be involved. So, um, was at a firm for about a year and a half, went on my own, partnered with a small family office, and uh, then eventually partnered with a private equity fund. And we bought over $3 billion of loans. We transacted with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, buying directly. We worked with Goldman Sachs and Nomura. Um, we issued securitizations of our reperforming mortgages. And I actually met a character from the big short uh, during my time in New York. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the character that worked at Deutsche Bank, he runs a fund and they were actually buyers of our bonds. So wow. um, to some extent, they were the cause and the solution of the financial crisis because those are the bonds that blew up. But years later, they're actually still buying them and they were buying much higher quality bonds because we had re-underwritten the deals. We had made deals and modified and cleaned up a lot of the loans and, and ours were actually a high quality product at that point. So it was it was a great ride for me and I was I was making more money than I ever had in my life but I was living in New York I was paying a 50% plus tax rate when you factor in the federal the city and it was not structured as you know a lot of real estate investors pay minimal taxes because of the being able to take advantage of real estate depreciation uh this was all ordinary income so I was really burnt out and wanted to get back to you know, the reason I got into investing was to have that uh passive income and and lifestyle uh, as opposed to just grinding on Wall Street. So um, I left as an employee in 2019 and then was was eventually bought out. And uh, I'd already been investing in syndications for a number of years passively. And uh, once I had uh, you know a pile of money of my own that I wanted to invest and was going to put a lot of it into syndications, a number of my investment partners really walked me through that co-GP model if you're a fund to funds model, depending on who you talk to, and really explain to me that, you know, if you're writing a, you know, you don't even need to be writing a gigantic check, but just a slightly bigger check than that person putting in 25 or 50,000. And if you could add value and be consistent to, you know, investing on majority of the deals that there's room to get much better economic terms, you know, or whether it's through a better split or through a piece of the GP. And that's really what I've been focusing on for the last few years is, uh, helping investors like myself that uh, you know are, are accredited and looking to move outside of the traditional financial system, um, you know, the wealth without Wall Street, if you will, and uh, really just kind of creating my own you know, tribe of investors that uh, you know, we invest in primarily multifamily, but also some storage, mobile home parks, student housing, really all of the asset classes that uh, all of the syndicated asset classes, that's really our primary focus now is just uh, sourcing and finding good opportunities to invest. That's incredible, man. Holy crap. <laughs> what a what a story. <laughs> yeah, I wow. tried to go as quickly as possible. So I probably went five <laughs> minutes without taking a break. But uh, thank you. No, appreciate that, you listening. <laughs> that was phenomenal, man. Seriously, you know, and I mean, especially even like, you know, going back to, um, you know, the days of, of 2008 and especially literally like being within the, the coals of the fire, you know, of, of kind of the um the central aspect of of that entire like time period you know and that's that's crazy man wow yeah i wouldn't have traded the the pain even though it was painful at the time um <laughs> you know luckily i was relatively young and rochester was not phoenix or vegas the prices didn't really go up as much but 
Um, yeah, I certainly was affected. I mean, everything froze. We had a lot of investors from California and New York buying in Rochester, and they were using their cash out refinances from their properties in California and New York, and that all dried up. So, um, yeah, the market certainly froze. And uh, yeah, the, some of the biggest perspective I think has helped me over the last year or two is that you know real estate doesn't always go up. Interest rates aren't always going to be um, close to zero. So, um, you know that that perspective of seeing when things get bad is uh, the the that never goes away. You need to you need to learn from the scars for that. It's really tough to to have and, unless you've really lived through it. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely imagine, man. You know, like feeling the the stripes. I, I definitely feel you when it comes to um, you know, kind of like the landlord aspect as well. I me personally, I just have a, a three family in like Central Mass because uh, I'm in like Eastern Massachusetts, and um, I mean even like. Exactly, man. From like a scalability perspective there, like even like three, you know, just managing three units, I'm like trying to delegate myself out of it and use systems to get out of it. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I mean, I fortunately got in a couple of years ago at like 2.6, you know, and I, I couldn't even imagine like trying to get the build in the cash flow now at like, you know, six, seven percent, you know, whatever like traditional debts at now <laughs> you know what i mean oh yeah yeah it's 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 pretty crazy but you know at the same time if a deal works into with with today's interest rates uh there's a ton <laughs> of long-term upside uh for you know a future refinance down but you you, know, you shouldn't stretch you know you, yeah. you never never go in with with negative cash flow unless it's a heavy value add to the point where you know you could raise rents in a few weeks or it's like mostly vacant and um but yeah i think uh, you don't want to chase with negative cash flow um you know with rates this high and we, we are seeing prices move um you know it's not it's certainly not a it's nothing like 2008 i, I i've had many conversations with investors like thinking they're just going to sit on the sidelines and wait for wait for a crash but it, it's it's different this time around um there's a quote by howard marks who has a whole book on market cycles and it, it's history may not repeat itself but it does rhyme okay. and uh there's going to be some pain but it's not going to be in the residential space uh, there's just not enough supply of single family houses. There's so many people, like you just mentioned, that are locked at two point something percent. I think roughly 70 percent of the population either has a house paid in full or is locked below four percent. And those people are going to stay. And what that does is that'll prop up the rental market. And, and look, there's a few markets where rents may may need to adjust a few percent just that we're you know, maybe overshot with inflation. But especially in the workforce housing, uh, middle class housing, uh, those rents we found are are stable and still growing. I think a lot of the headlines that come out are really the high end of the markets um, that you know are impacted by um, you know the recession, some of the tech jobs, but the affordable housing market, the you know rents from nine to 13, 1400 have still been strong you know largely across our portfolio. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And I think uh, this might be kind of a, a solid transition to how are you kind of navigating, um, you know, investing in today's market cycle, you know, especially after being through, um, you know, some of the the events of the past, you know, and, and kind of having those as, um, as reference points, you know, to, uh, I guess, kind of like continue in, in the market cycle now. Sure. So, you know, I'm a big fan of being diversified and, you know, especially since we're not the day-to-day -day operator ourselves, we're partnering with a number of very experienced operators, uh, having that diversification both across operating partners and across areas. Uh, we do focus primarily on the Southeast and Sunbelt, but we do have a smattering of properties in 
know, we have a deal in Indianapolis. There's a deal in Dayton, Ohio. So you know, we've got a mixture of you know high growth markets and the slow and steady markets. Um, we have a mixture of fixed rate debt, which uh, you know at the time a few of those investments on paper looked like a lower IRR because it was seven year Fannie Mae debt, and it's really it's tough to get that you know twenty percent plus IRR when you're holding for seven years. But uh, you know another you know pretty common quote is you can't eat IRR. Uh, so <laughs> ultimately, you, you want a good profit multiple and you want cash flow, and and those deals thankfully are still cash flowing like crazy. Um, we're locked in, and and if we do want to sell um, some of those loans, uh, we may even be able to sell. We still may be able to sell early with an attractive cap rate because the loans are assumable. Um, you know, mix that in with some loans that are some deals that we we look for significant upside. We're we are in some bridge loan deals for uh, you know for all the uh, you know pain of some of the bridge loans right now with interest rate caps. There's also you know there was a method to the madness of doing those loans because you build in the construction reserves and you have the ability to sell any time without gigantic prepayment penalties. So um, you know we're in some deals that are not cash flowing like, like I'd like, but you know, we're still at a stage where, you know, we have caps in place and we have another year to continue to renovate. And uh, the hope is we just reno renovate our way out of any any current issues with cash flow and, you know, our position to either sell or, or refinance uh, into a new loan um, that will certainly drop the rate from, you know, where it might reset. And um, yeah, as far as um, just always networking, looking for new sponsors, new deals, new asset classes, um, you know, looking outside of just multi as well, we actually made an investment into a marina, uh, which was uh, probably the most off the beaten path investment. And it's a marina with RV parks. And yeah, it's, it's it reminds me of self-storage 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's a lot of mom and pop owned. Um, it's not at a level where institutional investors can come in and buy because they're too small. But if you pull together 20 of them, over the course of a few years, private equity is very interested if you could sell them a large package of deals. And it's uh, very unsophisticated sellers. Um, you know, one of the stories I heard was uh, the boat slips were each post-it notes and they had a post-it notes on the board of the, <laughs> the name of the person with the boat slip and like, you know, the the checks like five, it's like almost like the Roman numerals, like check, 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 and then across. <laughs> that's not, not Roman numerals, but that's the way they were counting if they paid for the year. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's, those are some of the things we're you know we're doing. I mean, I certainly don't have everything figured out by any means, but you know we're we're diversified. We've got great quality partners, and uh, you know for you know the biggest challenge has been interest rates. But luckily, you know we're not only in you know we're in a lot of fixed rate deals as well, and um, you know that's helped us a lot over the last six to twelve months. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. It's one of the operators in uh, super local to my market. Uh, is into a RV parks a little bit. I, I think he like has one and then like potentially another one or something like that. And it's, I, I don't know too much about that, like sub asset class, but I, I think it is incredibly interesting, man. And um, especially like listening to podcasts and, and hearing um, how that's kind of a, a pretty nice uh, alternative type of vehicle alongside multifamily self-storage, that type of thing as another asset that you can, um, that you can leverage, you know, and, I think it's super cool. Are there, um, do you guys like have any like particular markets, I guess? Like, are they kind of like scattered like throughout the US or I'm just not too familiar with them to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So that those are actually uh, in Tennessee and they're also looking in Texas. Uh, this particular operator 
is generally focusing on uh, freshwater marinas. So kind of that RV lake boating culture and, and, and uh, not as much on the, the coastline ones. And that's also some of the coastline ones are much more expensive. And those, you know, are an area where private equity is, you know, it's a little bit more of a fit for private equity. So, you know, they're not, they're not targeting things in Miami or Fort Lauderdale or Tampa that are these <laughs> giant markets. It's, uh, you know, the, the regional markets where, um, you know, where they can, they're affordable and where it's generally a mom and pop owner that, uh, you know, much like these other asset classes, a lot of them have owned these 20, 30 years. They don't want to raise rents because they are in the community themselves and don't want to have their neighbors <laughs> giving them a hard time for, for jacking up the rent. And, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, there's tons of lakes and, you know, in, in, you know, across the Midwest and, and Texas and the Southeast. And, uh, you know, it, it fits with the other, uh, just the other criteria why we like multifamily. I mean, the average, the average boat buyer is, uh, you know, is 58 years old. So it, it goes along with, you know, the baby boomers retiring, the, the general population move to the, uh, you know, the, the Southeast and the, and the Sunbelt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's generally an affluent asset class too. That's the other thing when you're doing with a, a class C or B minus rental property, you know, you're, you're dealing with your, you know, your tenants are, you know, working class, you know, not always immune to economic issues, but, um, you know, someone who's buying a boat is usually, you know, has some, has some reserves, has some capital and, uh, you know, a lot less uh, likely to be, you know, collecting, uh, you know, or chasing people for late payments when they, when they already own a boat. That's a good point, man. I, I never really thought about that. Kind of like the, the actual demographic that, you know, is, uh, like a tenant in those, um, those type of facilities drastically different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and this is something you know, I was, you know, really just was, uh, you know, found about you know less than a year ago. So we really dove in, uh, dove in deep, and, and started learning about the asset class. You know, made an investment in a prior uh, fund vehicle, and uh, you know, there's a new a new offering coming out. So there's a few new acquisitions. So, um, yeah, we're we're uh, certainly going to continue to invest in that space. And uh, one of the bigger reasons is uh, there's a lot of investor demand for more current cash flow. Um, one of the challenges with multifamily, you know, recently over the last few years is just the first year or two, there was minimal cash flow during the value add. And uh, a lot of our investors, you know, would rather take current cash flow now, even if it's a slightly lower overall five year return. So uh, to meet that demand, we're trying to find deals that, that cash flow day one that have slightly higher entry cap rates and uh, a little more consistency. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes a ton of sense, man. Absolutely. And yeah, it's it's extremely interesting. So in terms of, um, take us kind of through like the fund of funds model, I guess, how did it kind of like come about, um, as a potential option that, you know, made sense for the vision that you guys had, um, as well as kind of like, like how you find like other operators, like kind of, um, like partnering with people like that type of thing. I know that was sure. kind of a lot, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the fund of funds model, I mean, my, I, a lot of the people I knew from my time in New York, um, had, you know, were accredited investors, you know, we're in that maybe one to $10 million range where, you know, they had significant assets, but a majority of them had 90% of their money in the stock market and really we're not aware even of, of the, you know, all the options for alternatives. And, uh, you know, as I was, as I was talking with them, you know, to, to make your first syndication investment, I mean, it's pretty daunting. And then you have to pick, do you want to be in Texas? Do you want to be in North Carolina? Do you want to be in Florida? And then which operator do you pick? And, you know, the ones that do jump in, usually it's somebody they know, 
somebody they met. You know, my first investment was somebody I met at a, at a RIA in uh, New York. He was from New York, but he was investing in South Carolina. And, you know, I'd known him for a few years and, and eventually jumped into one of his deals. So uh, one of my goals is to make it more accessible. And so my my fund of funds, if you will, and we have two different funds we run currently, but one is a truly diversified fund that we leave open for one to two years. And we consistently raise money and we consistently invest in different deals every month. And so if an investor comes in day one, they know that they're going to be able to dollar cost average into multiple assets and have a diversified portfolio. And then once the portfolio is, be, is built, they'll, they'll come a point we'll close and just open a new fund just because you generally, you can't just keep it opened. If you keep it open forever, then you need to get into all the valuations of things. So we do it as a, a closed end fund that we leave open for you know, one to two years and uh, investors that come in late get the benefit of seeing the assets that are currently in the fund. And um, we negotiate preferential terms almost across the board, whether that's a better split. Um, you know, many sponsors, if you're putting in 50,000, you might get a, you know, a six or a seven pref and 60, 40. If you're putting in 500,000, you might get an eight or nine pref, 80, 20. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other sponsors and, you know, you mentioned CoGP, other sponsors will, you know, if we're moving the needle for them and we've invested consistently, we'll actually make us a legitimate co-GP in the deal. And what we do in that case is we actually will rebate that to the fund. So the fund itself is the co-GP. And so that means the fund is going to generate a much higher return. So a lot of investors are fee conscious when they hear fund of funds, but, you know, our goal is to offset a majority, if not all of our fees. And if, if one of the co-GP deals goes parabolic and we crush it and make a, you know, make a crazy return on it. It's not out of the question that the fund would actually do better than the individual deal. And on top of that, you have diversification across multiple deals. So that that was my original vision was to you know really just give give people the ability to diversify on their first hundred thousand invested. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes a ton of sense, man. You know, especially being able to leverage, um, you know, kind of like the the operators that that you know you know super well and and the deals that you know super well in a sense. And be able to like really leverage the experience from uh, across the board, you know, and exactly like not just, you know, kind of taking like a, a needle approach, but being able to, to diversify across, um, you know, separate different different deals at the same time. Absolutely. And then to the second part of your question about how we source deals, you know, I had a few operators that were grandfathered in that I'd already invested with successfully personally. So that they were some of the early, uh, early investors. And then you know, I, I'm in a number of mastermind groups. I attend various conferences. So over, you know, over the years, I've, you know, met new sponsors. Uh, there's a lot of referrals from other investors, other people in the industry. It, it's it's never happened where someone's cold calling me or just sending me an email and we're <laughs> investing in their deal anytime yeah. soon. Um, you know, because I think in general, there's there's really way more deal flow than 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 capital available, and we're still growing our you know our tribe and our base of investors. Um, but we have the benefit of, you know, we've, we've allocated to at least 15 different sponsors. Each of them look at 200 plus deals a year, and maybe they find two or three good deals. Yep. So out of a few thousand deals across the board being looked at, we're getting sent maybe 45 deals a year, and then we'll pick between 10 and 20 to potentially allocate to. So we are uh, really seeing the best of the best and, and and the operators are doing a lot of the legwork for us. And uh, one other clarification, I mentioned we have two funds. In addition to our fully diversified fund, 
we did launch a separate platform that's still a fund, but it functions more like a crowdfunding platform where you could actually pick individual deals and you're only invested economically in that deal. Gotcha. So that includes multifamily. And we also have a few hard money or private lending funds up there as well. So there's multiple options and you really can just pick and choose which you're, what you're interested in. And it's only one private placement though. So once you're in the fund, you just basically use the web portal and you can pick and choose, allocate new money. Um, if something has liquidity, you can withdraw, but a majority of these do have lockups because they are syndication deals. But um, that's really solved a major problem for us because we, we had a lot of deals where if it was only a few hundred thousand, it wasn't worth doing a private placement for it. And, you know, selectively we would refer investors, but we, we want to continue to stay in the loop and make sure our investors are taken care of, make sure they're, uh, you know, getting their, their distributions on time. So it really solved a major, major problem for us on, on just deals that weren't large enough to do their own PPM. And we're pretty, pretty excited about it. So we, we tend to market deals, but then we have the diversified fund as well. So we, we're, we're really, you know, kind of sometimes we seem more like a syndicator operator and then sometimes we seem like a diversified fund. So it's, it's kind of a mixed message, but um, it works and people have multiple options. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredibly cool, man. Absolutely. You know, just to be able to have that, like um, have the choice in a sense, you know, for, for investing in that fund and being able to, to actually allocate, um, you know, as you please, you know, as an LP, that's, that's a So man that I, I love to ask everybody and that is how do you define wealth so um i think it's it's a it's a combination of you know having enough money enough money to be comfortable that you could actually live the lifestyle you want because you could be mega rich but not have wealth if you don't control your time and i've lived yeah. through that myself as well so it's, it's enough to have control and, and freedom if you want it, but I guess to, enough to have control of your own destiny. I love that, man. Absolutely. It's, it's always fun to hear like what people's definitions are of it, but like most of the time, like 98% of the time, it revolves around that like abundance and, and time freedom, um, you know, and, and control in different parts of your life and that type of thing. And it's always extremely interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, what was one life-changing piece of advice that positively impacted your development in business or life? If you had to pick one. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's kind of along the lines of that one. But, uh, you know, in 2007, early 2008, I you know, was still in Rochester. You know, I was kind of struggling, trying to figure things out. And, um, you know, a, a business partner at the time you know, says to me, you, you, don't, you don't want money, you want freedom. And that was, I had never really thought of it in, in those terms. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it still took me another 10 years, but, uh, you know, it was part of, you know, it, it was one of those decisions of, am I just going to grind it out in Rochester, New York? And, and, you know, I would have, I've no doubt I would have made a living, but I was, you know, kind of wanted, wanted something, something bigger. And that was, you know, part of the steps to actually, you know, move it down to New York city. And, you know, the next step was literally finding a job in private equity on Craigslist, believe it or not, that, that, wow. that, that fund, you know, put a, put a note out on Craigslist looking for real estate people to, to help them. So um, you just never know, you know, never know what you fall into. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's, that's incredibly cool. I mean, especially like, um, you know, finding that, 
w2 position in like that um you know private equity world and and kind of you know seeing things from that angle especially at that particular uh you know point in time um if you don't mind me asking like what was what did kind of like a day-to-day look like uh in that job like like kind of working for that firm yeah so early on because the they were we were buying non-performing seconds it was a lot of just trying to figure out what's happening with the first mortgage is it foreclosing or not um trying to do soft credit pulls when you could um and then you know we had thousands of them so trying to just figure out which batches were working we were talking i was talking to borrowers in some cases so trying to figure out who could we modify which loans had equity um and it would really vary week to week but over the course of a year or two was doing all of that ranging you know ranging from actually talking to borrowers making deals saying hey you know this person could afford to pay let's modify this loan um versus getting valuations um you know in some cases there were deals that still had equity where um there were so many home equity lines of credit taken out that it was not uncommon to have a five hundred thousand dollar house with a hundred thousand dollar first and a four hundred thousand dollar home equity line of credit that was in foreclosure but sometimes they were still paying their first um and then we also sold loans so we were also dealing with other investors that would buy we would get a loan reperforming and we would sell it to them or we would sell the non-performing second lien and then someone would finish the foreclosure and take the reo so it was all across the board along with legal uh talking with foreclosure attorneys um as we grew and by the time i was at the the uh you know the fund and we were doing three billion dollars um a lot of my time was unfortunately stuck on collateral um you know these mortgages were bought and sold multiple times and when you buy a portfolio you don't it's not like you have a closing and you get everything. You basically have a contract with that says you're going to buy a thousand loans and it could take months to get all of the collateral delivered and the assignments assigned from one bank to another. So um, that was, um, you know, not the most joyous thing, but uh, it was, you know, some of the things that needed to happen. And then coordinating with loan servicing companies and foreclosure attorneys, because once we're at that scale, there was a, you know, a third party servicer that was doing talking to borrowers. We weren't getting on the phones with borrowers ourselves at that point. And, uh, but we'd have hundreds of loans that we needed to decide what to do, approve things, move them to the next step of foreclosure, liquidate the REOs. Um, so it was a pretty, uh, you know, pretty full job. And n- none of what I'm talking about is including like the finance side of the Excel modeling. Cause that was, you know, <laughs> I can get around Excel, but I'm far at that level. It's almost, you know, it was like investment banking. There's these insane <laughs> Excel models that, you know, had 15 different tabs and all the inputs and, you know, basically all the investment bankers dealing with the the end financing and the securitization. So it's a pretty crazy business. And, uh, you know, it still it still exists. But, you know, the golden time was sort of that, you know, early, you know, 2010, 2014, 15. Eventually, a lot of the bigger private equity funds got into the space and returns started dropping much like large commercial real estate, you know, the wasn't tracked on a cap rate basis, but certainly big money started coming in and the returns, the returns got a little more normalized. Wow. That's super cool, man. Damn. (laughs) So I do want to bring us to our last section here, my man. Um, This is the action steps for abundance section of the podcast. So he's going to share two immediate action steps for two dominant demographics in our audience that typically listen to the show. Um, The first one, what is one immediate actionable step for someone on the fence about passively investing in 
syndications, alternative assets, um, really just, you know, kind of jumping in and uh, passively from different angles. Gotcha. Well, assuming you're already listening to this podcast and maybe you have others on your on your uh, playlist, you've got to go to a live event. Nothing substitutes for actually a meeting sponsors face to face. But at that live event, you're also going to meet other passive investors, most likely that you know were in the, your shoes a year or two ago and are now doing it successfully. Um, you know, I, I often talk about active passive investing. I go to a lot of events. Um, you know, the passive part is if you invest in a syndication at scale with a good operator, you're not getting that 2 a.m. phone call because the toilet's clogged. Yeah. Um, but you do need to put in the work up front and just going live. I mean, I'm going to uh, let's see, Rod. I'm going to go to Rod Cleves in Orlando in September. I'm going to uh, Lone Star has an event in uh, October in New York City. There's tons of events. There's Jake and Gino. There's IMN. There's there's an event pretty much every month in some corner of Somewhere. the country. So no matter, <laughs> yeah. no matter where you are, you could probably get to one within a few hours. And if you're in the Northeast, there's plenty of events in uh, areas with nice weather in the winter. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you just got to go. It's it's There's no substitute for to get to the next level of just talking to real people who are already doing it. 100%, man. I love it. And it's it's funny you say that about the events because that's, that's something that I'm, you know, just kind of starting to um, get into, you know, and, and kind of, you know, starting to make it a habit of going to a couple, uh, a couple every year. And I was actually looking at rods with, um, my partner, Brian. And then there was one that I literally just heard about, like right before we jumped on the call in New York, uh, November 4th, I think it's like MFIN or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm yeah, like, oh, I'm like I... yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't know it was November 4th though. I might actually, uh, um, yeah, I might look into that one as well because uh, I think I'll be I'll be in the Northeast. I you know still pop into New York and New Jersey, you know, relatively often. Yeah, no, definitely, man. And I was looking at it and I'm like, huh, I'm like that could be a day trip for me. I'm like, that's probably like you know three hours that way or something like that. I'm like, let's do it. Why not? What the hell? You yeah, know? <laughs> but yes, you you want to stay overnight because you don't want to miss the happy hour and the networking. And that's yeah. the other thing too. That's where a lot of deals are going to get done. Um, you know, at the bar afterwards. So it's uh. You know, don't skimp and take the train or the bus back at you know or drive. <laughs> you know, don't want to deal with Manhattan traffic. Stay, stay at least you know the night before the night after the conference and and really get the full experience. That's a good point, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was thinking about. It. I'm like, oh, I could I could make a day trip out of it. I'm like, I could leave leave Mass at like I don't know, like four four in the morning or something like that. Like get there by like like six or seven or like something like that. And or I'm like, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense, man. And like, especially like, cause I went to like the bigger pockets event a couple of years ago and, uh, like go abundance event last year. Um, and like something that I often tell people is like, Oh, you know, when you go to like conferences and, and crazy events and stuff like that, I'm like, it's like you're drinking through a fire hose. I'm like, so you're going to want to like give yourself like the next day off from work or whatever it is to just like process, you know, and yeah. exactly like you said, you know, like, um, you never know who you know, is, is going to be at the bar like an hour after the event or something. And that could be a next partner or next investor, or you never know. But Absolutely. yeah, I, I love it, man. Absolutely. Um, and then my other question for you is, um, what is one immediate actionable step for GPs uh, or, you know, fund of funds or, or what have you to grow their business? I know it's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta you, you gotta up the content game, and I was guilty yeah. when I started of not really fully committing to that. 
Um, you know, I had there was a number of years in New York, we weren't allowed to even go to conferences without general counsel approval because, you know, it was these were not 506Cs, these were institutional funds, and there was public statements. You had to be careful about getting quoted. Um, so it took me a little while to fully commit to, you know, launching our podcast and to, you know, posting as regularly. And it's it's the modern day for, a, you know, think about 20 years ago, we would send yellow postcards out. We buy houses. And when I was young and broke, I was afraid to do our first postcard because I think it cost us $700 for stamps and to print out some yellow paper and we cut them into fours and, you know, paid an intern to come in and literally peel and stamp and label. <laughs> so I, I was afraid to do that. And eventually, you know, our first mailing, I think we made $100,000 or more on buying and wholesaling properties or buying and flipping. Um, so, you know, the commitment to the content, it's not natural for everybody. I'm 44 years old. I'm not the one who's like always talking into my phone on Instagram, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm finding a way myself. You know, I was in Dallas the last couple of days. You know, I took some pictures and some videos of what I'm doing. I'm throwing them into a Google Drive. I've got an editor who helps put things together. So you just got to, it's the modern day um, postcards or the modern day yellow page ads. And, and you, if you're not doing it, you got to do it because it's the the way to get your message out there. And, and it's, it's worked. I mean, we've, you know, we've got investors. It's not just the young 30, you know, people that are 40, 50, 60 years old or on Facebook and seeing, you know, seeing posts and, uh, you know, it, it does work and it's, it's not something you can skip on. And, and if you're not this extroverted talk to the camera person, which believe it or not, I'm really not, I'm great on these things with, with conversations, but <laughs> sometimes it's hard for me to just talk blindly into, into it myself. But you know, if you're more of a writer, great. I mean, there's tons of need for content, LinkedIn, Twitter, even Instagram, where you scroll and there's top 10 things. I mean, the there, there's room. If you're yeah. room exactly. There's room, there's room, just like in real estate, there's room for introverts, extroverts. Every, every salesperson needs somebody who's good with Excel and good with, um, you know, the engineering side and the, the, the number side. So it, this is a team sport and, uh, you know, you could find your niche in that and, you know, or, or find the right team and, and plug in with a, you know, a team that's got that side of it down and then find, just find a way to add value. Absolutely, man. And it's, I totally agree with you, like with the content and like, it's sometimes it's, it's difficult, right. Especially to scale it. Um, Cause like, you know, sometimes like you're in the moment, you know what I mean? And like, Oh, it's like, Oh shit. Like, you know, I should take, you know, a couple pictures, some videos, you know, for Facebook and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to get a lot better at it myself, including, like really doubling down on like the podcast as a medium. I'm trying to, I'm really trying to stick to like podcasts, like and and putting a lot, putting out a lot more content for that platform, and then like Facebook as well, you know, and like a group Facebook group or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you, man. It's yeah, one of our goals for the quarter is to grow our Facebook group, and uh, we're gonna. I, we don't have an exact date yet, but we're working towards a virtual summit which will be, you know, a number of, you know, similar to podcast interviews, but we're trying to really focus, uh, you know, on the, you know, just the, the, the mindset and the kind of explanation of alternatives to some of the tax, uh, the tax and self-directed IRAs. So we're, we're really trying to work together to sort of a, a really curated summit that, uh, you know, we can record that can really help investors get from zero to one to, you know, to invest in alternatives. And those that are already in it, there's going to be some value. I mean, there's never, there's never enough information on how to properly structure like a solo 401k and different tricks and tips. So there'll be something for everyone. And we're, we're kind of working on the early planning stages, but um, yeah, we're on the same page with growing, 
you know, just growing our following, try to provide, provide as much value as possible. And, uh, you know, that, that will be, you know, returned tenfold, uh, you know, when, when you've provided the right, the, the right value to the right, uh, right potential investors. Exactly, man. And, and to your point as well, um, of, uh, exactly like you mentioned earlier, like if, you know, say like, kind of like figuring out what the, what the medium is for you, like you said uh, earlier, you know, like if it's like writing and like copywriting, like maybe you could like write blog posts or, you know, like write descriptions and stuff for Instagram for somebody or that type of thing, as well as I won't go down the rabbit hole too deep, but um, of leveraging, you know, like virtual assistants. Uh, there's a couple uh, folks that work alongside me. Uh, shout out to um, Kathleen and, um, and Christian. Love you guys. Um, but essentially, like, there's a lot of different ways to be able to just find the pieces that don't complement you, uh, both in the real estate part, as well as in the content and production part as well, while also keeping in mind, you know, the value of your time and, you know, the dollar per hour activities and, and all that fun stuff. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, we have, we have somebody who edits, yeah, we have an agency that edits the podcast when we do them. And uh, I know we have a mutual contact who, you know, linked us up for this and I know, you know, they'll put together some clips. Um, I'll grab clips myself and this, you know, if I hear something I like, I'll send it to my team. And sometimes we've made extra clips for podcasts we were on. If I, you know, thought I had a good talking point and uh, thought, or even if it's timely, I, sometimes I go back a couple months and I, think about a prior podcast if something happens in the news and I, I have this random memory. Like I can't remember to pick my socks up <laughs> off the floor, much to my wife's chagrin, but I have this random memory for random facts, often useless, but occasionally very, very uh, timely. So yeah. I love it, man. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for coming on here, Jack. Where can people contact you? Like you, the company? I know you have a kick-ass website. Yeah. I was looking at it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the website is JKM Investments. That's J-K-A-M for JK Asset Management, jkminvestments.com. We're on Facebook. We are trying to grow our Facebook group. Uh, podcast is called Alternative Investor Mastermind. Uh, we'd love to have you on the show sometime and hear your story as well. Love um, to. And uh, yeah, we're on all, yeah, we're on Instagram. We're on, uh, it's, it's basically J Jack Krupe on most of the platforms and then JCAM investments as well. So whatever your platform of choice, uh, reach out. I think we have a TikTok. I don't do a dance video or anything, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think some of the Instagram content probably goes on uh, TikTok as well. <laughs> I feel you there, man. I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> but um, awesome, man. Yeah, I'll tag all that stuff below. Thank you so, so much for coming on here, Jack. This was freaking amazing. And yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank I had a great time. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap for today's episode. We want to thank you for being a valued listener of the Creating Wealth Podcast. Make sure to visit www.creatingwealth.com to connect with us. Dive into our ever-expanding library of informative blogs. Get access to our private investor portal and explore a wide range of additional valuable resources. Stay tuned for our next episode as we continue to create wealth together.